So I'm speaking with one of my favorite composers, Mr. Henry Jackman. Henry has quickly risen to become one of the most in-demand composers in the industry and is continually proving his versatility with films like Wreck-It Ralph, This Is the End, Turbo, Captain Phillips, X-Men First Class, Kick-Ass 2, and many, many more. He just scored the critically acclaimed and box office record-breaking Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Uh, coming up, he reteams with Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen for the interview. He'll be composing Disney's Big Hero 6 based on the Marvel comics and the upcoming Goosebumps film. Uh, Henry, so great to chat once again. All right, it's good to speak to you. So we've interviewed a few times in the past, and uh, you know we've discussed your, your history and everything, so let's just dive right into Captain America. And I think the last time we talked, you were just starting out on this film, so now it's finished. You know, it raked in the biggest April opening of all time, and... I honestly really think it's one of your best scores. So how did this whole project start? How did you get involved? Did you pursue it? Uh, did they come to you and offer it to you? How did you get like involved with this whole thing? Um, I think I just got lucky. I mean, uh, you know, Marvel are not short of people to ring. You know, we've got Alan Silvestri. He's a great composer. They've been ringing, you know, Brian Tyler. Who else has done Marvel films? A bunch of people have done them. As to why... They asked me, I guess, uh, well, Dave Jordan is the music supervisor for Marvel, and mm -hmm. I think he was a bit of a fan of X-Men First Class, and I think they used to throw that around in the temp a little bit. And uh, he probably maybe uh, brought me to Kevin Feige's attention. Um, and, and I think also maybe it was something to do with, um, you know, I guess I'm a bit schizophrenic. I mean, I've done animated films that are very, very orchestral and sort of quite you know, extremely thematic and all the rest of it. And I've also done films which are really production heavy. So maybe they thought, given that Captain America's undergoing a bit of a transformation, being dragged kicking and screaming into 2014, I might be a suitable candidate to <laughs> combine symphonic um, material and thematic material with, you know, contemporary stuff as well. But to be honest, I don't know how these things work. I mean, they, they called me and I said yes. Well, I'm glad you did. <laughs> but, you know, in many ways, this is a very different, you know, than all the Marvel films. And I think it, it, from watching it, I, I found that it kind of drew kind of influence from many of the great political kind of espionage thrillers of the past, like Three Days of the Condor, The Conversation, and others like that. When you met with direct, oh, directors Anthony and Joe Russo for the first time to discuss the film, did that kind of genre of filmmaking come up in the discussions? It did. They'll be really pleased you've mentioned that because they mentioned <clears throat> those films in that era a lot and you can feel it in their filmmaking but I guess the most important thing to say about Captain America is when I first heard that they might want to get me involved I like I guess many people would imagine oh Captain America I mean the ultimate Americana <laughs> patriotic symbol it's going to be you know Aaron Copeland fanfare for the common captain um, fully traditional symphonic score heading in the kind of Williams Silvestri style now you know I'm just as excited as, as anyone else for that kind of thing. So, and then I read the script. I was like, oh, wait a minute. I think this could be something uh, a little more adventurous than that. <clears throat> because, of course, when I read the script, I saw that it was set in 2014. Then I was reading about the Winter Soldier. I was like, wait a minute. I think this could be a completely different animal. And then I started talking to the brothers who were... Um, uh, whilst it does have some of the influences you're talking about in terms of... Um, uh, political thrillers from the 70s <clears throat> it was a very contemporary film so immediately challenge was like oh okay so how do you do captain america where you don't fall back on the uh the classic symphonic um right. you know aaron copeland influence because that 
wouldn't that in this particular Captain America that wouldn't work at all. Um, in fact, there was, there was only a couple of moments when he visits the Smithsonian in the film, and that's also on the CD. That's like one of those rare chances to do a sort of traditional, um, traditional symphonic right, score right. type, the kind of Captain America you might imagine. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, <clears throat> it's a really pulsating action score with a with a villain who, if anything, I mean, the music I wrote for Winter Soldier. Is almost anti. I mean, it's the sort of music where my music tutor at Oxford would be extremely confused. <laughs> uh, it's mostly a lot. A lot of that's taken more from electronic and production-based music, and not, you know, uh, it's not harmonically and thematically um, involved <clears throat> in the way that a traditional score might be. That the Winter Soldier, I wanted something nihilistic and barbaric and relentless and. Um, it's really violent, and and if you listen to that Winter Soldier track on the CD, it's it's closer to a record than it is. Oh, absolutely! Um, you know, it's it's also. Some, I can imagine some if people haven't seen the film, and you know, imagine someone who you know loves listening to um, <laughs> traditional symphonic score, or whatever. Oh, Captain America, great! Let's have a listen. They, you know, oh, let's try track six. And they're like, what the hell's that? <laughs> They're in for a bit of a shock because it's not, um, it's a no-holds-barred, violent, um, and, and why not? You know, it's 2014, it's not 1950, so if you need to portray something musically that is mechanized, half-human, half-metallic, relentless, and incredibly violent, then you don't necessarily have to use bassoons and oboes to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely, and, then, and then I do, I have read a lot of reactions to the, the score that are kind of knee-jerk in that sense, where it's like, what the hell is this? But, um, you know, yeah. seeing... the thing about this score, there won't be much in the middle. If, if you're the sort of listener who isn't necessarily a sort of, uh, what would you call it, a score purist, mm-hmm. you know, your average like music listener, they could probably swallow something like Winter Soldier. If you listen to Nine Inch Nails, you're probably more likely to like the Winter Soldier than a sort of score buff. Right. They'll probably get, you know, I think people are either really like and go, wow, this sounds cool. Or people are going, this is an absolute disgrace. And this is the end of film music as we know it. And what happened to Star Wars? And I don't understand why I'm hearing all this banging and screaming. It's a disgrace. <laughs> That's exactly what's going on. But it's, it's, but art... yeah, and it, there's not much in the middle. I know. So you mentioned, uh, the Winter Soldier motif that you created, you know, and it's borderline, it's an unsettling tone that sounds kind of like a, a warped, ghostly vocal, and it works so so damn well in, the, in for this character, and it almost like the Jaws theme, you know, kind of announces his presence. So how did you come up with that sound? Like, how much experimenting did you do? Did you play around with oh, no. certain tones? Oh, totally. It, it took, yeah, it took ages. This is what I mean by it was more like a record. I mean, I spent a week having recorded very organic sounding vocals for the winter soldier mm-hmm. i honestly spent a week just in processing mode trying to get a sound where you could still hear it was human but it was time stretched and mechanized and damaged and i've got like endless sonic iterations of wailing and moaning and all kinds to get that sound because it's really just about those two notes it's not a you know it's not a symphonic gesture it's more like to be honest with you what i really wanted to one of the things i was really influenced by in the late 90s and early 2000s was really good drum and bass records often have a very long intro before the beat drops mm-hmm. and there's often and it, the nature of drum and bass is it's usually pretty dark you know it's not like house a lot of house music that sort of has its roots in disco and let's all have a good time kind of thing right. drum and bass was often done by kind of slightly geeky 
you know, um, slightly geeky bedroom artist, and a lot of it's really dark. And an artist I always really liked was an artist called Adam Air, who did a great record called Metropolis. Mm-hmm. And that, along with a lot of good drum and bass artists, they, they have like two or three minute intros where there's always some kind of sustained texture that's really unsettling and a whole bunch of like, and often there's like a vocal sample or something, but it's never something nice. It's always something a little weird or a little unsettling. And then there's a huge build and then bang, the beat kicks in kind of thing. And I didn't really realize I was doing it, but looking back on it, if you look at the structure of the winter soldier, it's actually a massive, great two minute intro before the beat kicks in. I mean, it's close to, even though the, the BPM and the style isn't like drum and bass, the structure of it, and the tonality of it is kind of like a really dark club record where you get a long, uh, slightly spine-chilling intro with a sort of ambient pad that sets you off center and then a kind of moaning vocal thing. Then there's a gigantic build as the vocal feeds back into itself and then bang, the beat comes steaming in. So that kind of structure and that sort of technique is really closer to um, genres like drum and bass than it is um, you know, symphonic or historical music. Right. And uh, I didn't re- I didn't think about it when I was doing it. But when I look at it, if you look at that build, it's totally like the kind of drop you get in a club record. <laughs> it's a very dramatic build, too. And it does build the tension and it builds the suspense and kind of that uh, that, you know, and he's he, he, he the character moves very quietly and and kind of slowly. And then he can just burst out with violence in any second. So I think it was such a, a perfect piece of music to to under undercut him. Um, but, but also, I'm also curious, you know, we're talking about electronics. So when you're coming up, there's a lot of electronics and, and, and synthesizers in this score. Uh, you know, when you're writing something for a tuba or a violin, you know what that sounds like and you know what you can, you use it for an effect or and, and anything like that. But with a synthetic sound, it can pretty much be anything. So do you know exactly how things are going to turn out in your head before you kind of implement that and get the sound going to get a beat or to get a percussion or a tone or an ambient sound like do you kind of have an idea of what you want in your head or do you just kind of fool around no, no, until you really sort of combination it, that's why it takes much much longer i sometimes wonder for the when i talk about the you know the people who hate it kind of thing mm-hmm. one of the thing one of the things one of the mistakes that people make especially if they're into symphonic music is they're under the mistaken belief that if something is harmonically and melodically sophisticated, it's intelligent. And then as soon as it's electronic, it's stupid music. Mm-hmm. But, if, <laughs> but the reason that's a mistake is because whilst some electronic music is not as, um, what well, deliberately not as evolved, say, harmonically or melodically, it's often way more evolved textually. It's just that, you know, you need to have a certain ear or be somewhat accustomed to that music to understand, you know, what's going on. Because a lot of the development and the sophistication is in the sonics and the production. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, you're right. So when you're creating that sort of palette, it, it doesn't come straight out of a box like a symphony orchestra. And that, you know, it took ages. That's what I mean. I spent six months on this score. Wow. Because just getting that vocal sound alone was about a two week long experiment. Wow. And uh, and you have some sense of what you want, but you are finding brand new things that don't exist. Right. So, you know, you fit, I spent days fiddling around thinking, oh, I'm getting somewhere, I come in in the morning, go, that doesn't sound like the Winter Soldier, that sounds like a cat <laughs> that's being, like, castrated. <laughs> that sounds awful. You know, start again, 
Let's go back to the original audio and like try again because it's got something's it's got too damaged and it just sounds silly. Let's try again. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> and what tends to happen at a certain point, you build and develop your vocabulary and it works. You know, and the directors hear it and they like it, and then you've kind of got your palette. But it takes age. Imagine if there was no such thing as a symphony orchestra and you had to individually invent the flute, the oboe, the clarinet, the bassoon, violin, viola, cello, double bass, as if it didn't exist. You know, the first six months of the school would just be trying to design instruments. Absolutely, which is exactly what you did. <laughs> um, right, and that, that takes time, and a lot of the storytelling is in that sort of textural uh, approach. Having said that, I mean, there's still an orchestra in there. It's not like it's a completely electronic school, you know. There's still, when you get those more traditional moments, there's still, you know, brass and string writing that, you, you know, you need. You can't go so far that the whole thing just turns into a you know, a, a club, a sort of electronic album. Right. No, you do. You do incorporate that. I kind of found this uh, wounded heroism, this kind of wounded patriotism in there that, you know, because it is about domestic terrorism within S.H.I.E.L.D. and and you do have this kind of breaking apart of, of the organization. And I really found that. And, and it builds to those big heroic moments that you do create for Captain America. And it's, uh, I, I loved it. I loved the, the entire experience. Um, and I also found the action sequences to be so superbly edited and crafted, and not just with your score, but with the sound design and everything. And the music was also very in sync with the editing. Uh, so to craft sequences like that, you know, you said you worked six months on the score. Are you toying around at all during the previs or during the, the rough cutting, or do you wait till like a sequence is fully finished before you no, kind of place you it? Wait for the you wait for the sequence because you're right, they're so choreographed. I mean... That's one of the things that's amazing about this film. It's a combination of... Not, the Jeff Ford, the picture editor, is just out of control. I mean, he's just like an Olympic champion picture editor. On top of which, the actual shooting, you know, the style of action is sort of interesting because it's really visceral and kind of brutal. I mean, it's not fluffy compared to, say, the first Captain America movie where baddies are being dispatched left, right, and center, but it doesn't feel anything like... I mean some of these fights are really, really visceral, but at the same time, they're sort of poetic looking. So I don't know who, I'm not exactly sure who did all the fight sequences, but I feel like they're sort of half ninja stroke. They've almost got like an Eastern beauty about them, but they're also like really violent. So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting combination of being exciting, visceral, and also kind of marvelous to behold, as it were. Oh, it did. It did kind of remind me of a little bit of, kind of Japanimation, kind of that kind of uh, style. Very slightly, a little bit, but it, yeah. was, it, was, it was great. Exactly, especially the, uh, after the, the Causeway battle and towards the end, before the Bucky reveal, mm -hmm. when Winter Soldier's fighting Cap, there's a sequence there that I honestly don't think I can think of another film that looks and feels like that in a fight sequence. No, oh, yeah, and, and it, it definitely felt like its own original thing, you know, not... I mean, it's part of the Marvel universe, universe, but it's definitely something different that we haven't seen in the the other films, especially stylistically. I think. Um, yeah, exactly. And yet, they still kept their left foot firmly in the Marvel franchise. It doesn't feel like two directors who you know used a Marvel budget to go and please themselves. Right. It definitely. On the one hand, they took the Marvel brand to a place it hadn't gone before, but with the right foot. But with the left foot, they were firmly planted in the aesthetic style in the franchise so that, you know, all the fans out there definitely feel this is, you know, part of the Marvel family, but they, they're getting to see it pushed into a, you know, a new area. Mm -hmm. 
and you mentioned the directors. They're two 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 brothers. Uh, um, so how does it how does it how do you work with two directors? Do they contradict each other a lot? Are they kind of all on the no, same page? I mean, maybe. If, <laughs> can you imagine putting Francis Ford Coppola and James Cameron in the same room and saying <laughs> that they had to direct it together? You just have some kind of nuclear explosion or something. Yeah. Well, you never know. It might be amazing. But I mean. They are a unit. What's, what's, I mean, first of all, they're brothers, so they're blood. True. And, you know, not like two people who haven't worked together being sort of pushed into the same room. They, they're a really slick and creative, like, working brain where the, the two of them complement each other and form a sort of, you know, directorial powerhouse. Mm-hmm. So, no, they don't really... I mean, interestingly, they're very open. So sometimes you'll be having a music meeting and they're sort of internally having a beard strike going, well, you know, I don't know. I always felt that this would be better if it were more creepy. I never thought this was creepy. I was, really? You think, I don't think it's creepy. I think that I said, well, yeah, let's hold that thought. We'll, we need to figure that one out. But um, it, it's in, there's a huge difference between two people who sort of um, have separate visions and you have a collision versus this sort of, circle that represents the vision and they're, and they're both inside it you know it's, it was actually great it, it was it was yeah it's quite rare actually I'd, I've, I've worked on movies that have more than one director but never one where they were so aligned in their you know aesthetic intentions mm-hmm. well i mean that the whole the whole experience the whole film was uh it definitely blew me away and i was uh i was wowed by they're it super talented I mean, the bottom line is, apart from all this waffle about how, you know, aligned they are, the bottom line is they're just really talented. You know, they just have vision and, and creative authority. And if you have nothing else, even if you have no expertise in, like, special effects or you can't name an instrument in an orchestra or you don't know the ins and outs of post-production, which, incidentally, these guys knew all of that, but even if you didn't know that, the most important thing about a director isn't any of that. It's... It's the uh, consistency of vision and creative authority because then it flows from the top and everything is a harmonious ride because, you know, the captains of the ship, um, uh, you respect and, and you respect what they're doing and you can feel and you can know what they're trying to achieve. And that comes with creative authority. Absolutely. No, I agree with that. Hundred <laughs> um, percent. But Henry, thank you so much for uh, another fantastic chat. It's always a real pleasure, and I enjoy your music tremendously. And I think Cap Two is, you know, one of your best works. It's a, a finely crafted machine, and I loved it. And uh, and uh, hopefully we'll get to chat again after your next slate of uh, projects coming up, which is uh, seems going to be another exciting ride for you know a couple next movies. <laughs> Definitely. Well, yeah. Since I've got the next 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 lot done, we'll have another chat. <laughs> okay.